0: How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke and I'm Jake, and you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow podcast, episode 127.
1: I had to take my jacket off, Zeke. Yes, you did. Didn't ruffle any feathers? No, you don't
0: want to, We don't want to hear Jake's ruffling jacket all throughout the episode today. I know. How are you doing, Jake?
1: Yeah, not bad. I'm doing. I'm doing quite well. I'm uh, just. I'm just relaxing with you on this cold, cold, cold day, Zeke.
0: We are well into winter now, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's been a.
1: You know, pretty another cruisy
0: weekend. Mm. Um, you know, it's a, it's a nice nice Sunday night with the you know the very cozy, we're all cozy in here. Yeah. I well, feel like we need the crackling of a fire. That's
1: it, terrible. It reminds me of the crackling fire from the video game that Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, not Sorcerer's Stone. Mm. Philosopher's Stone. Never played it. Yeah, well there's different versions like the PC version, the PlayStation, they're all different, completely different. Oh, okay. Um, but a lot of them have like fire crackling and like the menu and it's so like very, you know, video game sounds in the early 2000s. Mm. They they're a little it's not 8-bit sound but it's rough. It's it's quite rough, but it's well, interesting. Isn't 127
0: it? has already started on an amazing tangent. Let's get
1: straight into
2: <laughs> uh,
1: We're going to be tangering tangering the whole thing, aren't we? Tangenting. Tangent tangentially. Yeah, Jake. Do you have a <laughs> fun fact for me from the film of the week? I do. So, uh so the last few weeks we've been doing trivia for the film of the week. My trivia fact for you, Zeke, is that of course this film, which you may have heard, it's called Mockingbird. The two of <laughs> the, no, I already stuffed that up, didn't I? Two killer mockingbird. Yes. So it's mockingbird killed a two. I'm way worse at this than I should be. Yeah, That's not my trivia fact, believe it or not. Um, my trivia fact is that, of course, it is based on the Harper Lee novel, which mm-hmm. uh, only came out two years prior to the film's release. That's pretty shocking. That's a big turnaround. I know. It's even more impressive than last week's Dog Day Afternoon turnaround. That was like three or four years. Yeah. This is two. It's insane.
0: Well, hmm?
1: oh you got no, that, that wasn't the fact. Oh. <laughs> I was just mentioning it. Um, my fact, of course, was that uh, Gregory Peck's performance in the film impressed Harper Lee so much the author, uh, that she actually gave him her father's watch and the father her father, of course, is the uh basically the inspiration for Atticus's character. And uh, years late years later that Gregory Peck actually lost the watch and was afraid to tell her about it. And when she eventually found out she said, Well, it's only a watch A bit of a casual response for her father's late great watch. Yes. But um I thought it was interesting that they have such, that awful Actor-author-director relationship sounds really strong in this film, which is great. Great to hear.
0: Well, from Gregory Peck all the way over to Mary Badham, Ooh, um, who like happened this. to play Scout in this film, became the youngest girl to receive an Oscar nomination. However, she oh, lost out sense. to another child actress, Patty Duke. In wow.
1: Year. Yeah, I did, I did read that she was nominated. And I didn't think about that, but yeah, that is really young to be nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. Holy moly. She might still be the youngest. I can't think of anyone that might... might. She's seven in the story. She's meant to be seven years old. Mm-hmm. So maybe a few years on to that, maybe. Maybe the kid from Boyhood,
0: but then... Because he was nominated, but do you not... What is he? he? I'm pretty sure he is, the the one that they follow. Over. Okay.
1: I know Boyhood... But what, that that's weird, because you're right. That's do you, 12 years yeah, of do time. You, is
0: it the start or the end of... I guess it would be the end, technically. Yeah.
1: It could also be, well, it depends what scene they, and see, that's where it gets dicey. It's like, well, what, what, what scene are they looking towards in terms of performance? That kind of thing. And I think of uh, Jacob Trombley from Room. He was definitely nominated. Yeah. He might've been younger. But I don't know, but that's an interesting fact. I didn't know that. Now I've got to ask you, Mm Zeke, 1,100 films on that poster behind you, is this film included or not?
0: I'm going to take a stab and say yes. Yes. Nice. Yes. Well done.
1: <laughs> um, One day it's going to be no, and I'm going to trump you. This yeah, It's well, going to be another surprise. Another green mile. Exactly. Um, exactly. But, yeah. No,
0: well, speaking of movies on the back wall, Jake, have you caught anything in the last week?
1: Yeah, I've caught some stuff, and I'm actually looking at this. Technically, none of these are movies. I've seen some TV, and I've seen, I've seen a short related to that, that television. So, I'll, just, I'll go through this quickly, because... I don't want to... Basically, I finally finished the UK version of The Office. I don't want to harp on it too much because I've already talked about The Office so much mm. on the show and even the, the UK-US comparisons. Mm-hmm. I think that was the Green Mile episode, ironically, 124, Yep. when I talked about that. Um, but I just want to say I quickly finished that, uh, which includes the 14 episodes and the, uh, and the 14 episodes includes the Christmas special, mm-hmm. which is basically like the El Camino to Breaking Bad epilogue, mm-hmm. sort of. It's not season three, but it kind of is. Uh, episodes and it also there is also a short film called uh, the return of brent of course david brent ricky gervais's character it's like a 10 minute thing 10 years after the uk office ended so 2013 uh, it was like a 10 minute thing where he came back and like did the shtick and a lot of people found it funny i was like eh, it's okay uh, we, we've talked about ricky gervais on the show like mm-hmm. the closer we get to his present day narcissistic self the less i like him um, and i noticed that the office uk version was sort of slowly turning into just a ricky gervais show where beyond the christmas special like that's it for the rest of the cast Mm. it's just ricky gervais stuff like there's actually a 2016 movie called david brent on the road which i haven't seen yet don't know if i want to see it but it's literally just his office character trying to be a musician like on a road tour and i'm like stop trying to like relate these things they're not related Mm -hmm. that really bugged me that's the only thing i got left and i don't even know if i'm like keen to watch that. Well we'll see. Um the other one is I started watching Loki, the Marvel show. Cool. Cool. I watched Have you it seen episode 2. I seen episodes 1 and 2. Okay, about halfway through episode 2. Oh interesting. Okay, so I see we are both sort of up to date. Yeah, so we can talk about it tangentially. I thought it was shockingly like similar to Stranger than Fiction, the Will Ferrell movie. Uh, especially in the way that Loki's not really explored as a character more so than his general role in service of the wider story. Mm. The fact that he doesn't really have character development as much as he is a tool for other characters' developments. And they tackle it in a really clear, obvious way. There's even a scene, you might have seen it in the second episode, where um, him and Owen Wilson, which is funny to see them together again after Midnight in Paris, um, they're talking about, like, oh, the, the wh- how does the timeline end? Oh, the, you know, the writers are in the other room. They're toiling away at the ending. It felt like a little nod to their own... Mm-hmm marvel writers that are probably in a small room anyway so like it felt really weird and and meta in those ways which i liked but same with falcon winter soldier just the beat for beat like banter and comedy moments and stuff like it's and i hate this word but i'm gonna say it, it's cringy and it just feels so weird and off-putting i don't like baffos the way they use it just not a fan of it but i like the wider scope of the timeline exploration and stuff like that it's really interesting
0: um show i i don't know where i sit with it comparatively Mm -hmm. to the other two shows um obviously we'll have to wait to see this one play out yeah in terms of interesting things i find the uh what is it the what's it called the time or the time
1: keepers yeah the the tca it's the time keepers yeah um
0: their aesthetic the weird sort of like a closest thing I can think of is the the Fallout sort of aesthetic. Oh the yeah, weird, like the Vault dwellers. The Vault dwellers. So sort of, doesn't it fit? <laughs> I mean, it feels like <laughs> a that. little it, bit with like the weird sixties, seventies sort of
1: yeah, yeah. Tech and, and their and, mascots like a fifties clock o- character, overly
0: yeah, and overly friendly, but like in that sort of like nuclear family way. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, it, I like that comparison.
0: Yeah, I I, I quite like the first episode. I think. It was very lighthearted immediately, um, and really stripped his character down to its to its real bare bones, which which right. none of the other films really explored to that level of intricacy. If anything, the only arc he had was he developed sort of a, a brotherly love, like an openly considered brotherly love, right? With with Thor, with Thor, and obviously this isn't technically not the same Loki as mm. the one that I have something to say about that. Um, Obviously, due to how the, the the timeline situation played out, what do you have to say about that?
1: Yeah, so um, and we're not dwelling too much into the Spurs, and we keep saying this every Marvel shows that we're going to talk about in the Black Widow episode. Yeah, thank God the Black Widow episode is like Coming a up. few weeks away. Yeah, um, it might be the first thing we do after we finish the Decades Challenge because yep. it comes out on the. I think it's pretty much the same week. I think we get it on the seventh. Mm. Um, or we might do it after because it's the director's. No, the 30s is the director's corner. Mm-hmm. So it would be directly after. Yeah, that makes sense. But, but it, within the next like five episodes, we're going to do Black Widow finally, and we could talk about WandaVision and Winter Soldier. Yeah. Completely with spoilers and all of that. I think that's going to be a great episode. Um and I'm kind of excited to see. It. Apparently Florence Pugh is like excellent in it, which is mm-hmm. no surprise. But uh, and like I said, we're not going to spoil Loki too much here. This is episode 1 stuff. But it, it's a trend that I'm noticing that Marvel's doing with these mm-hmm. shows and just their timeline in general. Is the whole resetting arcs? Now this feels like something like the comic books would do—is resetting arcs and starting characters in a new place and to have a new arc and a new character development, all of this stuff. And obviously, and this is no surprise because this goes back to Endgame, where mm-hmm. the Loki we're following, and this is the Loki from an alternate timeline mm-hmm. that steals the Tesseract in Endgame. Um, so we knew going into this, this is not the Loki that we've grown through to the Tuck films, and that and is killed in Infinity yeah. War. It's a different Loki. I don't mind them doing alternate arcs to get them back to where they were when they died in those scenes. That's not that's kind of a neat idea because oh now we get to see two versions of Loki's redemption arc, like you said, with, with his thing with four. But the problem they did this with, with Loki and they, they did it with Vision. They don't have second arcs. They just literally watch back the events of the other timeline. It happens to Vision. And it happens to Loki in the first episode of this show. Mm. So instead of having a new arc that's totally original, that gets them to that same place, that same headspace, they just watch those events. And like, oh, that that's how I turn out? That kind of sucks. All right, I'm going to be different now. And it's like, there's just something a little bit lazy about that. It's very fair. I, yeah. I'm Particularly
0: that both characters have undergone the same sort of thing. I think yeah. I'm... More defensive of the Loki one. The Vision one's very frustrating, I think. Because that was... was, like,
1: literally a USB flash. Yeah. There <laughs> you go. Whereas
0: the Loki one, I don't think he's undergone the complete arc. I think he saw right. everything play out, and he's we see him react to that and emote to things that happened in Dark World and things that happened in uh, Avengers and things that happened in, in, obviously, all of the preceding films. Yeah. Um. And by the end, he sort of comes to a realisation that This is greater than his knowledge. This is this actually is beyond him, and right. The only way he's going to probably redeem himself, or get himself out of this mess, is actually to cooperate. Which is why you know at the start of the second episode, he's a a lot more. He's so trying to uh, be a
1: part of the 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 engineering. Yeah, uh, but the engine. uh, But he's
0: still got his. He's still got it. Yeah, he's got the agenda there. Where so I think the arc, the hero arc, is still. Um. A ways to go with him, Right. whereas with Vision it was kind of like a quick way of tying up the, the. the it was such an impressive, the show built that sort of relationship mm. so well throughout in One Division, which we'll obviously we'll talk about in more detail, but yeah, in a couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, that like you said, that USB transfer <laughs> happened in five minutes. It was,
1: and I think you're right. It was that was more insulting because. It almost made more sense for him to just die, or for him to have his well. If goodbye. anything,
0: that's the point of the show, really, yeah. and the fact that that it ends the way it ends really kind of takes away. It's
1: frustrating, um, it re- and that's why, like, Wonder Vision, I think, is an excellent show up until those last but two episodes, gets, I mean, and this then
0: is, this has been a relatively consistent problem throughout marvel there's like you know the more they keep bringing these characters back or resetting them as quick as possible yeah uh, the less stakes that there are in watching i mean at the end of the day you know you take that you know like that the whole thanos thing was meant to be the 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 big end game and people were going to die well the ones that died are now come
1: back yeah immediately And, and those also important stones are now paperweight yeah. they're making jokes about it to then emphasize oh no 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 but this thing that we're doing now the timeline that's important and then in a couple of movies from now oh no 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 that that's a joke the timeline's a joke Like, pfft, like we don't think about that this is the new threat it's a new Death Star like it's getting tiresome these oh, yeah. false sense of stakes and just do what Spider-Man Homecoming did just, just make them smaller make them more personal and we relate to that more yeah
0: I think the reality of the situation is it's it's going to go under the Star Wars precedent of it's going to go until it doesn't make any money, and yeah. then when when the first one of them that doesn't make money, that's when they'll start to go okay maybe maybe this this cash cow is starting to dry out because the only reason they keep making this content now is because it makes these absurd amounts of money. Yeah, and, I mean it, we saw Big it with Star cow. Wars; same thing happened with Star Wars, and then as soon as Solo didn't make its money back. They immediately pulled the plug on every project. Yeah, it's all gone. I Start mean, fresh. Didn't you say we've seen that, like the with the forecast, isn't it? Like sixteen different shows or
1: something like yeah, that. Yeah, Ryan Johnson's trilogies all gone now. Disappeared. Uh, doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. He I mean that's okay. He does Knives that <laughs> too. I'm happy about that. But so, yeah, yeah, look, I think I think it's an okay show so far. I'm I'm intrigued enough. And and episode two has a cool little stinger, which you'll you'll see. But yeah, um looking forward to it. Yeah, and there's only meant to be six episodes again, so it'll be pretty mm. short. And just in time for us to talk about it in full with the uh, the Wanda... I was going to say WandaVision episode. The Black Widow episode. See, Wanda, mm. Widow, it's all, it's all tied. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much all I've watched in the past week. I still haven't had time to watch Luca, the new Disney Pixar film, but that I probably watch that tonight, to be honest. After I've mm. finished with this.
0: Well, I have managed to catch two documentaries, including... The uh, and then the film of the week, mm. aforementioned um, film of the week. So I managed to catch uh, the 2020 documentary "I Am Greta."
1: Yes. So I, I actually love the stocker, and I'm really curious to hear what you think. Um, yeah, so I was very pro
0: the stocker too. Um, probably a little little cooler on it than than you were, but still okay. very very positive. I love this exploration. Um, had the 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 coverage to like the mm. this documentary crew followed her relatively before her yes. major speeches I, yes. I find very fascinating um that they didn't they probably didn't predict it obviously erupting the way it did and when it did it it just sort of grew so talk about just being in the right place at the right time and really yeah, kind of letting the documentary drive its own ship um, because this could have quite easily petered out in the first 20 minutes
1: yeah well I think the fear I went um, into it with this is like oh Greta Thunberg very political very like oh people people have thoughts on her and I was like mm-hmm. what's this documentary stance going to be and you're right it's it's such an observant documentary before it's a prequel to her big mm-hmm. speech it's the prequel to that and you understand by the end of it this is where that frustration has come from. Mm. And, and that was a great surprise for me.
0: I, I, what I also like is that the, the big speeches, the speeches that really put her on the map, are brought up in the first half of the documentary. They're not, mm. they're not, it's not building towards the big speech that put her on the map. No, no, it's, those are just, they were honestly, that speech, the one speech that a lot of people, that sort of how dare you speech, um, which is probably the one that she got the most media that... coverage, slash backlash, mm. and 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 social and cultural relevancy, um, was put somewhere in the middle. It was very. No, I'm pretty well, sure you know, that was towards the,
1: rough, the end.
0: Okay, roughly that one in particular. I think so. I think it's just the, the emphasis is there's such a collection of speeches that she gives, though. Yeah, exactly. it's
1: it's the tiresome of it because she's done so many by that point.
0: So, so maybe the the when I obviously that speech they put her on the put her on the map. Um, mm but she was getting a lot of media coverage at that point, or at least that's how the the documentary structure. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: it's about that, uh, not even linear, just that exponential popularity that she got. Controversy. From the work that she done. Uh Yeah. And then all the responses to that. And I love the stuff when, when she's sailing, because I knew that she had Mm -hmm. done that, but then to see all that footage and you're right, it's just incredible how early they, they nabbed her Mm -hmm. to do this documentary and, and they wouldn't have had any clue no how how popular she was going to become
0: i think she's a she's an exceptional person and the documentary aims to highlight that and also aims to highlight which it's going to actually tie into the second documentary too okay um that i watched this pure power and bias that the media creates mainstream media that we consume shapes our opinions on particular culturally and and cultural professional and um, Thought provoking people, you know, mm. the fact that she's uh, often dismissed by a lot of, in particular, um, sort of right wing propaganda based uh, media outlets. But then, is also, and I love that, uh, so they show that side, and of course, we, ah, oh, well, it's, you know, it's Fox News, of course, they're going to hate on the 15 year old <laughs> girl with with aspergers and, and and autism you know like they're just and they obviously they bring up the fact oh it was this mentally disabled 15 yeah. year old and which is horrible to say and and um you know we, we we kind of the sad part is we expect that from those signs of outlets but it was they also showed the other side the the problem with the passive left too with the basically all most of the time they would give is oh she's so great she's so inspirational and then mm. they would proceed to do nothing yeah and i think that that was one of my favorite and more impactful elements of the documentary was the fact that she's you know she's meeting people like she's meeting the pope she's meeting prime ministers she she's meets meeting, arnold she meets
1: <laughs> and they all nod and smile and wow you're doing take a great a photo job with and Greta. Then, next thing move on yeah i mean it, it's
0: particularly prominent and i think that
1: that address, at
0: I believe it was either at the G20 or the UN, where she does her big passion speech. She sits down, she puts the headphones on because obviously the next spe- the head of the board is doesn't speak. Oh, translating. In, the translating, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the yeah the guy's speaking. He doesn't speak English. is his first language Italian? And of course, so the translator and the headphone comes in, and he immediately kind of immediately he goes oh that was really great and then proceeds to talk about the the only thing he could do is synchronizing what was it toilet flushing patterns so it would save water and <laughs> she immediately just puts the headphones off and she just stops listening cause, That's funny <laughs> um it was something like so stupid but and that's it
1: all goes back to that frustration and that's yeah. why I just love the 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 journey that it goes on and by the end I was like wow this is really great yeah
0: she's an exceptional human being. i think that's why I talk about that media, mm. just that media perception. Cause a lot of people that have negative opinions of her in even our general populace, the people we know just comes from quick, hot media snips, like snapshots, not yeah. actually exploring the person or her ideology or, or the fact that she's been doing this long before a camera was put in front of her, mm. you know? And I think that that's really important to see. And the other thing that the documentary highlights is that relationship she has particularly with her dad,
1: yeah. um Well, that was because I I remember hearing some stuff like, "Oh, well, it's just her dad and using his daughter as like the the face of the image and funneling his thoughts and watching this doco." It's like, no, he's just a supportive dad. Yeah. <laughs> there's not There's none of that. I think he he got to the.
0: Yeah, and I I you know it's like, but it's like she and she outwardly says it in the documentary. She says when they were growing up, they were a very materialistic family. She's mm. the one that shifted the ideology of that family, yeah, and became more conservative. And yeah, you know, I do think that the, the the documentary does focus. sometime, you know they go they they focus. Okay, well, Greta does have certain you know medical conditions and and disabilities, and that might they do suggest they go well that might play into her a, a dr- her sole focal drive mm. to get this. And we can actually see it play out firsthand with her dynamic, particularly with her dad, when her dad's telling her to eat and she's not eating. Yeah, and she's yeah. uh, the way she's acting sometimes is, is quite childish, um, which is completely juxtaposed with her amazingly educated and well-spoken addresses. So it's yeah, a really yeah. interesting sort of exploration into the personal and professional sort of image. And yeah, it was a really strong documentary. Yeah. Um, I really quite liked it. It's excellent. The other documentary I caught from the last uh, week was The Final
1: Quarter. Ah, um, oh, yeah. I he- You posted this on Instagram, actually. I did, actually. Yeah,
0: I actually didn't log it on. I just realised I didn't log it on, uh, oh, no. on the old You're, you're getting
1: bad for your login, mate. I am, you gotta, yeah. you got to get those dates accurate. Yeah, so
0: this was a um, <laughs> document, a 2019 documentary by Ian Darling, and I quite liked this um film quite quite a bit um because it was pretty much solely i would say entirely um constructed obviously following adam good's last three years of his afl career and sort of Mm. the um social and political commentaries and the the huge um collective uh i don't want to say scandals but controversy he had particularly in his last couple of years and sort of the in his career and how he became a social figure for obviously and spokesperson for like um, Aboriginal indigenous Australians. And more importantly, serious, basically sort of as a dissection of his trial by media and the effects really outlining the effect that negative press or concentrated negative press or Mm -hmm. isolated um, questioning can wear a person down, particularly, Completely and utterly shape um, the public's perception of one one particular individual, and obviously we talked about Greta Gerwig just then. Greta Thunberg. Uh, Thunberg, sorry,
2: Gerwig,
1: <laughs> thinking about
0: uh, Greta, yeah, Greta Gerwig.
1: F- she's faced her own, issues, she's not getting Oscar nominations. <laughs> yeah, um,
0: Greta. Yeah, yeah, Greta Thunberg, and 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 you know, Adam Goods was no was no difference, and. um it was a really and like i said it's purely archival footage so it was a mixture of like the afl games and new a lot of news press stuff and it was completely constructed with solely just all of this stuff no pieces to cameras no um footage from the day oh and it basically just shows how this this guy was completely worn down and how it affected sort of the culture of his team his personal Mm. own you know mindset the people around him and and sort of their response, and you really can... When you're looking back on it, and you, you kind of walk away and you're just disgusted because it's like you're watching these you know game after game after game and he's going out there and then the whole team's not getting booed and every time he gets the ball, he's just getting tens of thousands of people booing him and yeah. it's week after week after week, solely because the media, for the most part, would always position it predominantly with... Um, him being criticized for expressing his culture like doing um sort of you know multiple um aboriginal war dance celebrations and and that got the, just the way that the media would dissect it was just absolutely remarkable watching how different outlets responded to these different moments or mm. things that happened when he got australian of the year and he's doing that and people are like oh the australian of the year shouldn't be doing a, a tribal war dance in the middle of a even though he's in, it was in the Indigenous round. Yeah. Oh,
1: People you, complain about every Australian of the Year. You should have seen you, you, the last one. It was ridiculous.
0: You couldn't write some of the responses. And just really this documentary, what it allows is it allows you to follow the career and then see all of the media responses to particular um, like cornerstones of his decline in yeah. terms of popularity and... And of course, it was pretty culturally relevant because as of two weeks ago, he was actually offered to be inducted into the AFL Hall of Fame and declined it because of um, sort of the way that he left the game. And I think a lot of people have forgotten that and that's what this documentary is there to rehash and particularly the poor response the AFL had and Mm. some of its bigger figureheads like Eddie Maguire, who was a turnip um, (laughs) and a tosser and... He's I, I obviously He's getting out of you're, there. You're a big God. fan of you're a big fan of um Australian rules football this is a really good documentary for that. I think the whole even the the exploration of sort of indigenous players in any sports code, it's it's a really yeah. important um documentary for that. And really, yeah. Uh, it just it made me quite angry yeah. at myself and or particularly just and particularly just the response, the, the this terrible societal res- response, which was solely driven by the power and, and power of selection that mainstream media has on the news.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and I think part of it as well is like, obviously, the media is a huge factor in it because, and I, to clarify, I haven't seen the film yet. I really do want it. It looks great. Um, which final quarter. But uh, part of it as well is I think there's like an. Uh, it's like a boys club almost the footy and like even today like i saw you umpiring you know just like a local game and not umpiring the afl for example but there's still that sense of like you know all the guys are getting into it you know the adults and the kids and Mm -hmm. it's very rough and tumble but then you know i mean you you've had to deal with kids saying pretty bad slurs even just in those grounds yep and it's like there's i think there's something about that environment and and there's a pure joy to football and just kicking a ball around i saw after the game you know these kids just kicking the ball and having a fun time and it's like Mm -hmm. wow that's awesome it's this little thing that they found it gives them joy but then the culture that that the guys have made around football is just awful
0: and it's it's such a shame because there's a couple of you know obviously a couple weeks ago when he declined it the media's response was oh well has he not gotten over it yet and stuff and it's like this and and you just want to sit there and be like... What, he should? This guy, <laughs> this guy got basically bullied into retirement. Like, his mental health took such a beating because of the way he was treated by the public. You know, people were booing him, and they weren't even realising why they were booing him. They were just booing him because everyone else... It was that mob mentality, and, yeah. um, you know, you see game after game of this just horrendous attitude and it's like you know you see how it didn't just affect him but it affected the players who played with him at sydney and and particularly the indigenous players that played with him at sydney and Mm. um and then you see the how the other afl teams responded and honestly there were a couple of like you know in all of this this storm of sort of hate and 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 ickiness and and having these people that you know like these presidents of clubs who you know with would apologize to him when he got received the remark, and then two weeks later called him, mate, compared him to King Kong on radio, like, and then pretended Jesus. like he had just put his foot in his mouth, and it's like uh, these people that were in these really high up positions making commentary like that, yeah, and
1: so blatant as well,
0: yeah, uh, and having all of these you know these sports commentators and these mainstream newscasters continually just badge him for his last three years of his career to the point where. Yeah, he probably lost the love for football like that he had once, and um, and that's such a shame. And I think him saying no to his like Hall of Fame nomination is proof in the pudding that they we killed the love that mm-hmm. that person had for that sport, and we're trying to remedy it by giving him an honor that he absolutely deserves. Yeah, but the fact is they weren't there when he they needed him. Like when the AFL needed needed to support him, they weren't there for that. And of course, a lot of the scrutiny now is now carried over less uh, less so much with sort of the the indigenous commentary. We're obviously moving now into AFL women's territory, where that has mm. now a whole other level of of controversy. And of course, now in in our social media age, now everyone has the ability to be absolutely horrible with next to no uh, repercussions for it. Mm. So. Uh, it's, it can one can only imagine um, the weight and that this documentary confronts, and it's a really um, like impressive documentary for something that's purely just archival footage, and it's put yeah, together in yeah. such a a perfectly told story format.
1: Yeah, so the fact that impressive. it doesn't need pieces of camera to make its point—it's very impressive. Yeah,
0: perfect, okay. great example of archival storytelling. That's all mm. I got for you.
1: Oh, that's fair enough. Well, that's all I have for you, too, Zeke. Do you have anything for career updates before we move um, into our film of the week? Yeah, I'll just I'll quickly mention. Um, I was telling a bit about a gig I did yesterday, which was really sure. cool. Um, where it, basically it was a it it took me back to high school. It really did because it mm-hmm. was essentially uh, we we're doing this little promo video for this camp, which encourages. I think it's called the Fathering Project or the Fathering Program, uh, but it's essentially this program in dwelling up where fathers bring their kids and it can be you know their sons or their daughters they bring them on this camp and they're typically from the same school mm-hmm. and it's just like this little get together with activities and you know they they bunk together overnight for the weekend and they got archery in the morning and like little commando rolls and things like that it was really cool and really sweet it was a fun little gig to to shoot and and uh, hopefully that promo will go up later in the year at some point
0: lovely uh, yeah it was fun Well, it's time for us to move into our Film of the Week. It is our latest installment in our Countdown Through the Decades retrospective. We moved into the 1960s this week. But, Jake, who won the poll and what are we watching?
1: This week is... That's what we're watching, Jake. Mm. This week in the show, we're watching To Kill a Mockingbird.
3: To begin with, this case should never have come to trial. The state has not produced one iota of medical evidence that the crime Tom Robertson is charged with ever took place. It has relied instead upon the testimony of two witnesses... whose evidence has not only been called into serious question... on cross-examination... but has been flatly contradicted by the defendant. Now, gentlemen, in this country... Our courts are the great levelers. In our courts, all men are created equal. I'm no idealist to believe firmly in the integrity of our courts and of our jury system. That's no ideal to me. That is a living, working reality. I am confident that you gentlemen will review without passion the evidence that you have heard come to a decision and restore this man to his family in the name of God. Do your duty.
0: In the Depression era Atticus Finch A lawyer sets out To defend a black man Who is accused of Raping a white woman Meanwhile his children Scout and Jem Spy on their Reclusive neighbour I didn't realise I thought his name was Jim It says Jem No it's Jem
1: Jem with a J Yes It's very weird It kind of At times it does Sound like Jim. There's one time When he says it I think outside The little prison cell I think it's Very clearly Jem Mm. But yeah It's a little They're interesting names Aren't they Yes. Because her name's Joan, not Scout, but everyone calls her Scout, according to the awful trailer excerpt we used last week. <laughs> this movie has no good trailers at all. We struggled. <laughs> to pick, if I picked a scene. I should have. I really... Uh-huh. Oh, well. Well, it's not too late for this week. See, we're talking in the future now. That's true. Because the audience has already heard the trailer we're playing this week, which I haven't picked yet. <laughs> this is my first time watching
0: this film, so the best part about the 60s poll... This week was both mm. films I hadn't seen, so it was really nice that I knew I was going to watch something new. Right. Um. Uh, I've been blessed because I hadn't seen the '70s films too. So, and uh, I haven't it's seen either of the time. I hadn't seen either of the '50s films. So yeah, we really started to move into unknown territory for me. Yeah. Um. This film was obviously it's really interesting because To Kill a Mockingbird is still, um, a prominent novella that's put in schools today uh, for kids to read um in which often films like this um uh, and the novella are are very closely associated academically speaking um yeah, well, in terms I reckon... of you often watch and read this in quick succession in terms yeah. of our sort of high school teaching experience. Well, which...
1: I think it's reflected because only two years apart, which I only learned mm. today, which is insane. So Maybe that's why they're so yeah. tangentially shared. And
0: I, I think that's very fair because um, I have never read the book and I'd never seen the film because we didn't cover this in um, my schooling mm. experience. Um, who knows, maybe I'll end up teaching it one day. Yeah, exactly. Um, I found this film um hmm <laughs> where do i start with this film <laughs> i don't this know what, film, i don't know what that means <laughs> this film felt long i'm gonna just oh, okay. Out outrightly say it. not in a bad way but it, well, maybe in, in parts it's okay sorry long is the wrong it was a slow burn it is a slow burn of a film okay. I okay um but it's a really interesting film how perspective works in this film mm-hmm. um how I think, obviously, you know, we're starting to get into this point now where obviously every film of the week for the next couple of weeks is probably going to be a must watch classic. So, and yeah, you know, a timeless, yeah. a timeless classic as per se. And, and obviously, this film's no exception. I, I, I know a lot of people, you know, would probably hallmark this film up there as a very mm. well regarded piece. And I guess, um, Yeah, I just found parts of it quite slow, but I found the perspectives interesting, particularly that we sort of alternate between Scout and Jem's perspectives predominantly throughout the film, Mm. um, in which Atticus is always... It's sort of shaped around Atticus, but never actually takes Atticus's pure perspective and only really starts to shift purely into his perspective of situations um, in the latter stages of the film, Mm. um, particularly with multiple... Um, ultimatum choices that have to be made towards the end of the film.
1: Yeah, um, it's it's interesting. So uh, I I should clarify, I watched it for the first time around April of last year, which was around the time that we had our pre-records coincidentally during COVID. So when I went back to look at like my original notes, there are none because mm-hmm. there might be some in episode 66. We might have mentioned it, but we did like a real quick fire. What did we watch in the last mm-hmm. month? between us it was like 100 films, probably more. So there's a very good chance that I've never actually talked about this film of it in any consequence. So watching it a second time, going in being sort of lukewarm on it may be same as you because I had issues with it and I still kind of have some of those same issues. I think, I don't think it's long. It might be a case of not knowing what the plot was actually going to be because it might feel like we're spending too much time in the areas you didn't think we we're going to spend time in. Mm-hmm. Um for me it's i mean it is about perspective and that and that's sort of where the renowned nature of this story comes from is that it is from the children's perspective and learning about race relations and and learning that basically all of your neighbors are a bunch of racists <laughs> like the the tragedy about that and your father protecting you from that mm. truth and I think that's you know a wonderful, excellent story, but I had issues with you're right it, it, there are parts of this film that don't feel coherent. I remember I had a big issue with the fact that there's a 35 minute court scene that feels really jarring, kind of in the middle of it. Upon the second viewing, I kind of got it. I kind of got why it did it, but then I then I wish it took it even further. Mm. I wish it did the life is beautiful thing, where it is very clearly two completely different tones and genres back to back, and I don't think they took the children's perspective thing far enough because they saw scenes of Atticus talking you know to other people around the town and other adults so there's a bit of we pull back from the children's perspective mm. to see that um so i think that there's elements that i wish were done differently in that uh section i also had a lot of, there were a lot of examples of telling not showing in this film which i think is more a byproduct of just this is an early 60s film not a lot of experimentation i think they just wanted to make a very faithful adaptation. Mm-hmm. And that included a lot of words, it included narration that I didn't think was necessary. Those no. kinds of things. I didn't um, think
0: the narration was necessarily too. I'm, this film's really interesting because it very clearly has a, a almost a five act structure. It definitely has mm-hmm. a prologue epilogue and, and obviously a traditional three acts, um, particularly obviously following the, the, the court case and the um sort of the, the, uh, the, What's the word I'm looking for? The uh, I've completely I, I blanked on the I word. Can't,
1: I can't help you.
0: The sort of the the summation of what happened as a result to the the fallout. That's what I'm looking okay, for. Okay. Okay. Um, the fallout from that, obviously, with um, the fallout of that trial playing out the way it did, um, then they proceed to have one of those narration blocks and then move into a weird, well, an epilogue, an epilogue story. Centered around Halloween, um, which happens sometime after that trial, and I always thought yeah. that this film would end with that trial, right? Um, so I, when I when I got to the trial starting, I was like, oh, okay, this is where the this is where the film's going to end. Obviously, it has to end in a courtroom. Like I've seen this monologue, or this uh, oh his
1: closing uh, argument, yeah, his Peck, monologue, Peck's,
0: yeah. Peck's monologue, and yep. um, seen classic
1: of, classic acting it's, right it's,
0: there. Oh, it's fantastic.
1: Won him so, his Oscar.
0: it's a fantastic monologue and probably one of the best better passages of um his performance throughout is is astoundingly impressive um how he keeps a calm demeanor yet and offers a weird sort of um equilibrium between the sort of more radical radicalized characters and and even his own children who are quite um obviously trying to kind of course correct them to multiple occasions because of the the radical ideologies that they're learning at school and and sort of their perceptions yet he has this he always has this edge to him a weird sort of intimidating sort of presence too Mm -hmm. he's not a uh, he's not a like a soft cuddly teddy bear character you know he's a yeah the way he like you know he doesn't like guns and he doesn't sport them yet he's an amazing shot with them and puts down that that rabid stray dog you know to protect his family and and similar you know situations like that ensue multiple times where he just has this you know when he gets spat on and he has like a weird moment where he reaches behind him almost like we think he's reaching for a gun but he's just reaching for a for a handkerchief yeah uh, but you, the the serious stoic nature that he has sometimes and is is fascinating.
1: Um, uh, yeah, because I I wrote this as well about him specifically. He is such the ideal father figure in this thing, and the fa- the fact that he has, is such a well renowned man around the town, and of course that changes as he goes on to defend a black man, and everyone's perception changes. But like you're right, there's a stoic protective sentiment where it's like it is sort of a john wayne-esque type but he is still a loving single father mm. who has to do his job and get paid in literal wheat because he represents clients who can't afford his services and then tucks his bed in uh, kids into bed at night mm. and it's like it's such an interesting character the male role model of the time and like yeah that if you go on his wikipedia page or, or the wikipedia page about the characters he is one of the greatest movie heroes of the century. Like, th- these are magazines and lists that have claimed that. And it's like, you can kind of see why. Because with the exception maybe of him almost too much sheltering or trying to shelter his kids, you can almost see that as a negative in some ways. But with the exception of that, he is like the the pedestal you want to be on. Mm. You look up to him as a character. He's doing the right thing. Or he tries to.
0: Yeah, I think it it comes back to sort of the arguments that you know when when scout asks him why are you representing him and it's like well Mm -hmm. i wouldn't be able to live with myself because right i think for him what his cornerstone as a person who shapes his his character's ideology is is the sense of duty um Mm. i think that to him is why he is such a um, stoic yet incredibly likable, uh, protagonist, like, he is one of the strongest protagonists in film because of the fact that sometimes he's not doing it because it's necessarily the right thing or the ethically right thing, um, it, it was his duty, and it was the, like, it was the, like, and he is forever uh, bound by doing the best that he can do, and, holds himself to that sort of high regard and i think that's really important
1: Mm.
0: and you know it comes back to his one you know part of that closing argument in the courtroom case where he's he's talking about like you know the fact that um you know african-american or the black people uh couldn't kiss white people like that was a that's that like the way that he manages to often articulate his perspective or his arguments with with such uh, grace and equilibrium mm. that ha- helps balance both empathy and sympathy for both sort of irrationalized parties around him. And I think that that's big, be- all comes back to the fact that it's his duty to his work and it's a duty to his family and looking after his family. Um, and that driving force of making sure that they get the opportunities growing up. I, I think that that's really important. Yeah. What
1: well, I about. think he's, instilling values or he's trying to on his children that this is the way we should behave and, and we shouldn't have prejudices on these people and that's why i kind of I cl- it clicked for me the second time when we finally do get the court scene like i said i think the film could have done a better job at and making these perspectives more uh sort of in line with what what we're supposed to be yeah but when you do enter the courtroom. You don't really know the details of what what's really going on. You're entering the scene as Jim and as um, Scout, and finding all of this information out as they are. So evidently, when you get to the end, you're like, "He's so clearly innocent." Mm-hmm. You're just as disappointed as them when he's found guilty. Yeah, and I and I think that that that's almost a failure for Atticus, but on the same. See, this is this is when it gets really tricky because, like I said earlier, he's trying to shelter his kids from this, but they sh- they in they show that they are capable of understanding this, and they are the ones in the courtroom being like, "Why is he being sent to jail?" And it's because they're young and innocent, and the prejudices haven't come through yet, and they have well, a father figure. Well, it come comes to. back
0: to the fact that even in that courtroom there's very clear segregation all of the white Mm -hmm. people are sitting in the 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 rows that are at the bottom floor of the courtroom all of the african-american the people in the black communities of of this town are sitting in the the nosebleed sections Mm -hmm. up on the on the top floor and and of course you know Jem, uh and uh scout recognize the pastor and don't even consider like that that you know, they ask, Oh, can we watch it with you? And he says yes, absolutely. They don't mm. even consider that they're actually in the area that, you know, is only well, is designated only for, you know, coloured people. Right. Because um, they don't see that sort of perception that like and that's that comes back to the the instillment of positive ideologies that Gregory Peck's character in Atticus Finch is obviously trying very hard to instill in his own kids.
2: Yeah.
1: Um and I think I think that aspect of the film is wonderful yeah um but like i said i wish th- i wish there was more refinement and i think you could do that now this is earlier than i was going to intend to ask this question but i want to ask could you remake this film absolutely today okay this film <laughs>
0: unfortunately like in my opinion i think i think this film obviously does suffer uh, you know occasionally it, i think it suffers the the confines of of early 60s cinema um which sometimes and, and not every film obviously suffers this problem even from that period of time but it's quite stagnant a lot of uh, the the set pieces and okay um i feel like there there is there's is definitely room there for a sense of cinema a bit more cinematic flair um even though this is a very traditional storybook story and probably very true to its source material mm. and i think that's really important too I do think that there is a remake in this film. There, I mean, this film came out nearly sixty years ago, so yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously the fact that it hasn't even been proposed to have a remake is is a little bit surprising to me.
1: I think that is in part that that Harper Lee and Co. loved this version so much that they've been really, I think we stickily with another version. Um,
0: Harper Lee did release a sequel book to To Kill a Mockingbird in which apparently it does offer critiques of the Atticus Finch character because obviously he in the film uh, perception is is quite close to a very much a white knight protagonist. He doesn't really right. set a foot wrong. And even in moments when he could give in to that darker side and show off some of his flaws, he always takes the high ground. Mm. Um, and I think that that's... I think the yeah I think the the uh the sequel novella it does a little bit more of a critique that it follows. Um, Going to be i I've even heard of this sequel. I think yeah it, Interesting. interesting. Only came out it only got released like I think less than five years ago or something like oh, that. Oh interesting. It, okay. Um, I'll quickly do a little research on that one.
1: But yeah, it's interesting.
0: Yeah, I think obviously I would see this film getting remade. Um, obviously after I think Harper Lee passed away. I would
1: say right. I see. I'm kind of leaning towards the idea that you could remake this too, probably for a different reason. I don't know if it's in terms of like go set a Watchmen. Ah, okay, interesting. See, I don't. I don't think it's to do with the cinematic flair or even like the pacing of it. I didn't really have any issues with that. Although, I would argue in 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 defense of my tonal shift, like my very clear cut rodent cut in the middle tonal shift pitch my life is beautiful pitch version of this film, this wouldn't be shot in black and white. Mm. And I frankly don't know why it was in the first place. You know, this is the 60s. It's not the 20s. This didn't need to be in black and white. It might have just been cheaper or there's some reason I'm not seeing. Probably, well, it
0: definitely would have been cheaper.
1: Yeah. Um, But I, I would have loved to have seen them play with lighting to create that juxtaposition where you start the first half of the film from the kid's perspective and there's the elusive neighbour and there's all these rumours being spread around Mm. and they're having fun and games. And then, once you enter the courtroom, you completely shift that lighting and now you're in the adults. The adults are talking and then Mm. you have that complete shock of, look how horrible these people are that Mm. are on trial, on the stand. I I think that's sort of where you can take it and you can definitely get away with it now because people... people know the story they have a preconceived notion of how the story plays out so you don't need to worry about the audience not getting it because mm. they already do but now you can go full 100% this is from the kid's perspective you know and we see absolutely nothing maybe little hints and crumbs but nothing of the the racism and the horror going around them until mm-hmm. the courtroom i think that would be an awesome way to remake this film
0: i think that it um there is a uh, a darker side to this film, and I—I I don't know if you've got anything else you'd like to really go through before we discuss sort of the the epilogue of this. this oh, we film. we can talk about the epilogue now. Yeah. Um. So obviously, I talked about following the the case in which Atticus does lose. Um, with yep. you know that amazing visual of all the, the African American people standing as he leaves oh, yeah. the empty your father's exit. passing. Fantastic, uh, uh, shot. Um, obviously, it leads, It cuts to them at Halloween and Jem um, and, and and Scout are going to this... some sort of party gathering. It's some
1: like, school fair thing at night. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're going in costume and, and uh, Scout's a ham, which <laughs> people love that ham, I found out. People are big fans of the ham, ham. costume. Um, <laughs> I was going as a ham. Yeah. In which,
0: yeah, like... Obviously, um they get attacked on this, mm. this walk. And well, on the walk back from the school, so on on the way home. Yeah, by uh I'm trying to remember his name now.
1: The one who actually attacked them. Yeah. Oh gosh, I don't remember. He's
0: the, the, the father, isn't he? Oh no, he's the the one that Atticus accused of domestically abusing Oh tra-
1: yeah, 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 you're right, yeah. Of 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 the victim. Mm hmm i'm forgetting her name she has a great monologue too actually she when work. she's on trial um yeah you see because that that character is not so important to me as much as the boo character who we later learn is named arthur um what was his last name i, I know it's arthur but anyway boo the elusive neighbor it ends up being him who actually saves the day mm-hmm. in a way i mean I, I don't know if that's the point. You're- no, he is the, yeah, yeah, okay. Obviously, because gets okay. knocked
0: out. Yeah, and this leads to a and, and this elusive yeah this elusive neighbor saves them and actually ends up killing. Um, right, the, uh, the 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 attacker, the, guy, the attacker, say, the, um, who's yeah, like I said, uh, the one that I'm pretty sure is the one that Atticus accused in the trial. I of think you're right. Yeah. The, the one that did all the horrible things and. Um, this leads to a weird, uh, an ultimatum where obviously if this goes to trial, um, Finch would probably have to represent Boo and, and would probably more than likely um, be executed for it, you know, obviously, or capital punishment. And I think that that's a really important. And obviously the chef, uh, the sheriff offers him that, that ultimatum that he just fell on his knife. Right. Um, and sort of for Finch to cover this up. Um and of course that leads to Scout making the, the, the mocking bird
1: uh analogy analogy
0: again which you know, great great callback obviously mm. because that obviously leads to the fact that this person helped and actually did the right thing and will be punished for doing the right thing, much like um, you know, the the African American uh man that Finch represented in the trial who was simply mm. just um, offering a hand every every day to the point right. where then, you know, he was preyed upon and taken advantage of. And because of his position, he didn't know, he couldn't react any other way. And, and he was, you know, he was kind of doomed to fail. Mm-hmm. And that, that obviously comes out in his monologue, which is also an, an amazing monologue from that trial. and Yeah, and um, I love
1: that he gets that. Because you mentioned the white savior thing earlier, and that was something I noticed. Tom Robinson, like, and Tom Rob Robinson, played by yeah. Brock Peters. Yeah, he's excellent, and and like I said, I love that he gets that monologue because, you know, through this whole, this is a film about racism, and it's like that is, that is the opportunity where we actually get a black voice to actually speak to us, and he gets this epic, wonderful moment, um, wonderful performance in the court. So I'm glad you mentioned that really quickly, mm. um, but it's interesting because that really tied it for me at the end when when they compare boo and they call him or specifically scout calls mm. it calls him the mocking the mockingbird and and that comparison of someone just trying to do the right thing because to me even more than robinson is actually is articus and that he's a mockingbird because he's the one that's trying to do the right thing as well and now his kids are getting attacked for what he did for trying to defend a black man. And it's like, I don't know, it's cool to see that circular storytelling where it's like, there are several mockingbirds in this film and that and it's the repetitious cycle of doing the right thing. It lands you in hot water mm-hmm. all the time because people just don't understand. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of love that little circular thing, which I got more the second time yeah, around. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I definitely think that it's like, obviously the the neighbor being that sort of, that yeah, that elusive protector and... Mm. Um, this film definitely, obviously, not as uh, scarily overt as something like The Hunt's conclusion has a very similar oh, yeah. sort of um, par- parable, to be honest, because, um, you know, obviously, after their actions from that trial, there's probably a, in the community, they actually do probably have a target on their back because they chose you know Atticus in particular chose that he was pursuing the thing that he thought was the right thing to do and Mm. is now being met with you know the society you know the atonement of societal expectation and culture and um, I think uh, that's a really really unique ending really powerful Mm. ending
1: yeah and I do like the note that she walks him back to his house and like he kind of has that a bit of a creepy look as well but you know throughout the movie he's been very elusive we don't really see him he has these little carvings in the tree that that is a bit freaky. Is like, oh, he's carving these kids. Is he spying on them? That is kind of creepy behavior. But then you realize pretty quickly it's it's just that people don't understand him. It's the face value. You don't judge a book by its cover. Or or as um as Scout says, you know, just standing on his porch was enough for me to have walked in his shoes and understand it. So it goes back to that perspective, and um I I think it's wonderful from that standpoint. I do find it funny, however, that that Articus is mock... The first time he brings up the Mockingbird analogy, less than two scenes later, he's shooting a rabbit stray dog. But that's not an accident. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's an accident.
0: No, I think it's 100% deliberate. Because cause at that point, Jem's pushing to have a gun. Like, he's yeah. gun-obsessed. And then after that incident, he actually... Where he sees... Um, Atticus actually taking the life of a living creature. Yeah, There's sort of a change in Jem's uh, perception. On scares on, him straight. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that that's 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 meant to be there as a sort of a the gravitas of weapons and the gravitas of violence, mm. um, even in in self defense. And I think that's that's that is carried through throughout the
1: film. Yeah, and I, and I love that as well. That the little tokens that he's making little wooden figures and stuff that's actually the opening sequence of the film is them using the crowns and drawing over that i thought i know i said that this is a pretty straightforward story told 60s film but that opening was like shockingly creative Mm -hmm. for considering that that's the rest of the film very mitchell versus the machines-esque yeah and just like that little creative thing to open your film and the crown draws out the title and i thought that was all really great um i want to talk a little bit quickly about scout Mm -hmm. who i feel like is technically is not but i would feel like she is the protagonist of the film i feel like she's sort of the viewpoint i mean it is her narration for starters but it is also her viewpoint in that
0: yeah yeah i would say she's the narrator i wouldn't say she's the protagonist um okay which i don't think they can be you know they don't have to be the same person not all the time as the narrator the protagonist of the film um I think she's the one driving the. Uh, she's telling the story, but I would say the protagonist of the story, in my, in my opinion, is still definitely probably Atticus. Um, mm. um, and I think she's just the narrator. She's the delivery um, to the story, right. Because she actually is a, a passenger in a lot of the major events of the film. If you, if you, it's like we take that scene where they get attacked at the end of the film, and she's sitting in the in the ham costume, really kind of just observing everything from her kind of confiscated viewpoint.
2: Right. And, right.
0: Um, you know, obviously we see her and Jem up in the, in the balustrades when, when Atticus is, you know, out on trial. And, and a lot of the time she is always there, but she's rarely gets time where she spends the, the only times you can probably start to see the point where I think she's a protagonist is, in her one-on-ones with Atticus, probably.
1: Okay. You see, I think it's funny because I think about, in terms of those two characters, I think they are the two most important characters, for sure. Mm -hmm. But in terms of their influence in the story, it's like where Atticus is constantly failing. You know, everything he does in the courthouse and to defend his client fails, and he ends up dying, the client. And on the other hand, and I take your point, like, Scout doesn't really do much to move the story forward. Either she is kind of passive and she is sort of in the car watching the events but there is the one time and and i'm going to spoil a little bit of my highlight scene here where um without her the mob wouldn't have left the jail cell when they got into that confrontation i I think she was the one that drove them away by what she says and i won't get into that scene too much yet uh, but i think that's an example of atticus not having as much power as he thinks he has but then his children having the power to to change that but I, I to to your point, that's like the only example I can really think about. That and no. the other the other example being Boo, the neighbor <laughs> who saves the kids at the end. True, that's interesting.
0: Do you have anything else you'd like to add?
1: Yeah, let me just quickly take a looky. I got one last thing just to clarify my point earlier about the the show don't tell, or in this film's case, tell not show. Um, and I'm not knocking points off the film or anything like this but it is an observation i made is there's a lot of explanation in the film in a lot of unnecessary play i don't know if you felt the same way at all oh
0: yeah there's a lot of talking in the film and i I think that might come back to its uh novel uh trying to stay true to the source material right um obviously i this is another thing when you um, create a film so quickly after its if its novel counterpart has been released, mm. um, there is a very good chance you have to stay v- way more true to the source material than what you would if you
1: say did it had more time to make a new version. Well, let's up. say
0: if there'd never been a *To Kill a Mockingbird* film, right? And we may you know one came out tomorrow, I imagine its connection to the source material would not be as true,
1: right? Um, because it's just a new context. We live in a different world not as different as we may like it to be, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but you're right. The film would just be different inherently by the time of its creation. Yeah. So I do agree with you there. Um, but there is a lot of
0: talking in this film. Yeah. A lot of characters. And that is one of those things that can be a little difficult sometimes in particularly I find in black and white films, it can be a little bit difficult when you have so many different characters and, uh, you know it can be sometimes hard to to, and they all have to speak they all speak so much it can be very hard to track okay um color does also help us with sort of visual coding in terms of we can definitely differentiate characters a little bit more coherently um not 100 percent true like i don't think that's a i think that some characters do have a tendency in this film you have some characters so iconic to look at you know like you Scout looks so significantly different to Jem and, and and Atticus. They're the very mm. iconically costumed characters. It was Their mostly some of the stuff, yeah. yeah. It was it was the farmers that sometimes I found myself a little confused because they they all you know kind of dressed the same. They weren't as uh, easy to differentiate. So some scenes I, I found myself a little confused.
1: To be honest, that's interesting. Yeah, no, well that that's fair and and, and to your point it is funny because obviously Scout is a bit of a tomboy and there's a moment where she has to wear the dress that she hates. So it is funny. They actually kind of do look similar in those ways, but still very distinctionable and have different personalities as well. Um, but to your point with the talking, I do think you're right. It is a case of them coming off the book, which is it. books are words. That's it. It's all describing what it is. And then you move that to a film where the big promotional thing, I mean, even the trailer that played last week, it was all about, it's Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck's playing this role, mm-hmm. so you want to see him give those monologues. You want to see those actors perform those words, and and act. So I think when it comes to and there are play adaptations of this story, and I bet they're wonderful. But when it comes to a film and visual storytelling, you know, when I see things like Dill looking through the courtroom window and describing everything he's seeing, mm-hmm. or like the the kids are overly curious, like, oh, are we poor, Dad? Uh, what about this bit of exposition we haven't explained yet? You know, like, those things, they kind, of, kind of bother me a little they bit. They detract a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. I think it's more of a product of its time. Not that I think a main, mainstream films these days have, you know, too much dialogue. They definitely do too. Mm-hmm. But, I, I don't know, that, that kind of did bother me to the point where I couldn't not talk about it. Um, there is one great example, though, of visual storytelling when... Um, I think they come back from... Uh, I can't remember which scenario they come back from, but Jam is sitting out on the porch and then he's hearing like these screeches and these sounds and he's like mm-hmm. following the sound and he can't quite figure out what it is And in, in the night. I think that was a great example of visual storytelling because it really does play with the camera and the sound effects and mm-hmm. um, his reactions. But um, yeah, I thought that was great.
0: No worries. Well, it's time for us to jump into our highlight scene. Jake, what was your highlight scene and why?
1: So as I teased earlier, it has to be the scene... Um, where Gregory Peck's character, Articus, is waiting outside the jail cell. Well, he's not waiting, he's protecting because he knows something's going to happen. And, of course, the the mob comes in and they're threatening, like, you better step aside. We're going to do what we're going to do. Um, And there's something about that scene that I just really love because it really encapsulates the idea of perspective where, um, where Scout walks in and, and she recognises the farm. Oh, you were here on this day and you had to pay my father this way. And these little intricate details where she's seeing him as a human and he doesn't say a word but there's something about his face his self-realization of i'm doing a horrible thing right now and this kid can't even see that not really and and just the self-reflection i loved just that interaction Mm. and And she ends
0: up incidentally uh diffusing the situation
1: yeah absolutely i think it's
0: a great scene it's a fantastic scene Mm. i would i mean that would definitely be up there for for me um I quite like the last scene of this film, the one I was talking about—the ultimatum and the conversation, particularly between the sheriff and, and Atticus, mm. as they're discussing yeah. sort of the scene. Because what we see there is we probably see Atticus' first and probably only time in the film narrative where he picks the more uh, the, the 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 more selfish road, I guess, or so the the one that's more um, not as ethically or morally right. But he's doing it for I mean he's doing it for the right reasons, but at the end of the mm. day it's of course it's he's vulnerable mar- questionable. I mean he has multiple monologues how he talks about the importance of law and the importance of rules and the importance of of having this system, particularly the American justice system, he has multiple um expressions of how the import we get this ability to have this opportunity and yet he's willing to kind of sweep all of those ideologies under the rug in order to you know, preserve Boo from a trial, which he probably would be mistrialed because of all of the horrible things they say about Boo, like in the neighbourhood, you know, yeah. that he's... Even packing. even the adults spread rumours about him. Yeah, like he's, um, he's, you know, he's got people running out of the house because he's stabbing
1: them and stuff like that. So
0: one could only imagine if that man faced trial by this town. Yeah, the
1: public perception of him because he's different.
0: And, and that, that comes back to, um, kind of the moment, particularly one of the more potent moments because, you know, Atticus plays the system Mm. with, with, with Tom Robinson's trial in which he believes, you know, on the retrial we'll we'll get them in which, right. Obviously given Robinson's fate where he just didn't believe that. So he tried to get away and got himself killed, um, this decision by Atticus in the in the the final moments of the film to kind of throw away his ideologies on the justice system and sort of invoke his own by actually with withholding yeah. um, information that would lead to a trial because in order to preserve this person's existence, just cause yes, but actually goes against kind of his character ideologies, which mm. I find really interesting and a really kind of a uh, a good theological and philosophical question to finish the film on
1: yeah for sure it's definitely a more moral grey area that we haven't seen him deal with yet but I mean we saw it that was we saw what happened when he tried to do it the legal way and try to do it through the systems like can't we just skip this whole process altogether I guess no, that's, uh, that's, that's his character arc because yeah. he is the protagonist of the oh film. Oh, God, here <laughs> we go. <laughs> no
0: worries. As well, To Kill the Mockingbird is currently available to rent on YouTube. As that's how
1: I did it again. <laughs> First time I watched it, I rented it from, uh, not Civic, um, from Fanbase, the DVD. Oh, nice. Um, so I have it on that DVD. Was, yeah, okay, so that wasn't an option for me again. I could just buy these, you know. I could just <laughs> go to the store and buy them, but... I'm changing, Jake. I'm a changing old man.
0: Well, speaking of changing, <laughs> Jake, what are some of the new and changing... The ever I uh, tried. The ever-changing uh, cinema climate. Okay. What, is, what okay. is new to streaming platforms and cinemas this week? Yeah, but, shut up.
1: This is going to be a terrible story because I was going to say it earlier, but you said the cinema climate. I just want to quickly point out, I wrote this down, a Quiet Place Part 2 just crossed the $100 million domestic mark which for reference is more is almost double that of Tenet's domestic gross last year at fifty eight million. Rousers. So um Quiet Place Part two is doing incredibly well off a sixty one million dollar budget is almost at two hundred million worldwide. So well done to them for they are the true savers of cinema, apparently. Good good uh, <laughs> not tenet. Good payday for Krasinski. Yeah, exactly. And Blunt. Um, yeah. No, they're doing very well. And uh thank you for saving cinema. <laughs> John, John and Emily <laughs> uh, So going we on all to knew you. Jim could do it No, exactly, He's, he saved cinema and state with Pam, it's, it's amazing um, so to your actual question about what's coming uh, streaming in cinemas, uh, this week on Stan we have Death Proof, which is one of my favourite Tarantino films uh, Logan, Lucky and the Hitman's Bodyguard, in case you want to watch the sequel that's currently in cinemas, there, there you go uh, coming to binge this week is the Lord of the Rings trilogy, of course if you have Netflix and all of that you probably already have access to it. Anyway, but if you only have binge, if you're one of those people, then there you go. You can watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, coming to Netflix this week is Good on Paper, which sees Andrea Singer, after years of putting her career ahead of love, stumble upon the perfect guy. Now, Zeke, on yes. paper, Dennis checks all the boxes, but Andrea's friend Margot is convinced he's not all he appears to be. Does that sound intriguing, Zeke? Do you want to watch that?
0: Is that a rom-com? It?
1: it sounds like a rom-com. Sure. <laughs> it's a horror film. Go on. <laughs> Love it. Uh, and also, and I double-checked, I'm pretty sure this is coming to Netflix today, if you're listening to this, Rick and Morty Season 5 begins. I'm actually generally excited. Let's jump onto it. Wowzers. I'm very excited. Uh, coming to cinemas this week is Buckley's Chance, which is a fish-out-of-water story that sees young Ridley lost in the harsh Australian outback with nothing but a camcorder and his new dingo friend. Or it's a new friend, a wayward dingo. I, I tried to spice it up so can it didn't quite work. But it sounds like a good Australian film. It does sound like a classic Australiana. There you go. Herself sees a young mother named Sandra escape her abusive husband and set out to build her own home, fighting back against a broken housing system. It seems alright. Yeah. Nice and chill. And finally, and this is already playing right now, we can go right now as they can wanted to, Fast and Furious 9... He's out in cinemas. This snuck up on me. Yeah, you're doing the, the John Cena. You can't see me. It's very accurate right now. <laughs> well, no one could see him. Yeah. Are you going to see this?
0: You. know what? I mean, I'm going into my last. This probably should have been back in the career section. I'm going in my last week of prac. Right. Loved my time there. It's been amazing. I'm gonna have so much time on my hands, I Ooh, still have oh. a Hoyts voucher you gave me for my birthday last year. I think it was, <laughs> or the year before. Or something of, the absurd. The year before. I think it was something. There's absurd. no way
1: that's still valid if that's, if that's so true.
0: Maybe I'll see if I can use that, and maybe go and watch some Fast and Furious. Let's go and watch some Fast and Furious together, Jake.
1: Oh no no no! I I, still, I have like six more to catch up on. I'm not I'm not doing that. Hey, come
0: see Quiet Place with me.
1: I've already seen Quiet Place. Uh, <laughs> go <laughs> back. You missed out on the bill. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Now, we'll watch, we will watch something. I'm sure there's something out there. I still want to watch My Zoe at Luna and I still have my birthday two-ticket thing that they gave me. Oh, great. So, I got... Actually, that's probably running out soon. I'm probably going to get like a week left on that. They but give if, us tickets for our birthdays? Yes. Awesome. Start of uh, September. Or for privilege cards. September, no. Not September, Jesus. The, for privilege no, cards. Yeah. Sweet. So, at the start of November, you will get uh, two free ticket, for you. But like, that's like crazy
0: when you think about that. Like, yeah, if it's you awesome value. Tickets, that's paying for the privilege card,
1: basically. There you go. You pay for your birthday tickets. <laughs> it's good value. That go to is... Luna, do it.
0: Yeah, we're very pro Luna. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you'll love it. But until then, thank you for joining. Oh, we on. haven't even oh, announced we have to... what we're doing next week. Oh! I know. I was it was bad.
1: Oh no. Out of sorts. <laughs> Fast and Furious 9, you're just keen to go. Yeah. You're just raring to go see it. Fast
0: and Furious to the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but
1: no, we're not watching any of those films. No, we're not watching <laughs> any of
0: those films. We're moving into our 1950s countdown through mm. the decade retrospective era that we're going into, I guess. Um,
1: E-R-A, not E-R-R-O-R. Yes.
0: yes. Um, Jake, but... <laughs> What were the two films <laughs> that we put up on our poll? Who won? And what are we watching next week?
1: So, I was a little bit surprised, but this one I think you were a little bit too. Uh, was... Sunset Boulevard lost the vote 16 to 12. So, uh, people, you've got to pump those numbers. We, we were getting like 30 to 40 yeah. a few weeks ago. What is this this, bloody... this is pretty
0: regular. I mean, like, how many people... This is what we're coming... It comes back to our To Kill a Mockingbird remake conversation. It's like, right. most people are never going to... The, the funny thing is, nowadays cinephiles will will watch to kill a mockingbird right but your general populace won't watch any film we're starting to get into the era of, of films where which is a shame this is a yeah. shame that this is my commentary on it and this is why we actually introduced this challenge so we would actually bring some of these films onto, it yeah that's true on a, yeah. on a mainstream spotlight but people don't watch you know 40s and 50s cinema which is such a shame because
1: yeah, well, at this point, I imagine most of these votes is going to the ones they've heard of. Yes. Which, again, is like why Sunset Boulevard lost because I thought the film it lost to is. is people know it. I personally haven't seen it yet. I've Neither. seen a few other of, of this particular director's films. Um, but, um, you know, no it's, worries. it's interesting. It's what interesting. are we watching, Jake? So, next week on the show, we are watching Rear Window.
4: This is the apartment of a man named Jeffries, a news photographer whose beat used to be the world. Right now, his world has shrunk down to the size of this window. He's been watching the people across the way. Nobody seems to pull their blinds during a hot spell like this. He knows a lot about them by now. Too much, perhaps. For instance, down there on the second floor, the woman pacing about. He calls her Miss Lonely Hearts so lonely that even death seems like a friend. These are the newlyweds on a honeymoon no one will ever forget. He calls her Miss Hearing Aid, an artist of a very odd and strange art. The songwriter who plays the same melody over and over again. A genius or insane. This is the traveling salesman, and his invalid wife out of their arguments and nagging comes a weird kind of love Miss Torso, the body beautiful, that is, viewed from a safe distance Those are just a few of my neighbors First I watched them just to kill time, but then I couldn't take my eyes off them just as you won't be able to
1: Professional photographer Jeff is stuck in his apartment recuperating from a broken leg and out of boredom, begins to spy on his neighbours, but comes across a shocking revelation. Wowzers. So, of course, we're talking about Alfred Hitchcock. I've seen Psycho and Vertigo, but not this one.
0: I've seen The Birds and in Psycho.
1: Interesting. Okay. So, so, there we go. I think I think it's all on stand now. I think all of those films are on stand. In fact, I'm going to check right now. You know what? i got to get used to doing this is actually before we close the is, show... Is Rear Window on Stan? This is what I'm checking now. But I, I want to make it a habit that we actually tell people ahead of time, if you want to watch the movie with us, not literally with us, but watch it in advance of our review, we should tell them where to watch it before. Oh, there it is, Rear Window on Stan. There
0: you go. Beautiful. So I will be watching it on Stan this week also. Wait,
1: wait, is it is it... Oh, good, good. It's the 50s version. Good. There is a 90s version that is apparently Horrible. It's apparently really bad. Okay, so let's well. not make this. Let's not make a mistake on that one. <laughs> Until then, thank you for joining
0: us for the Cinema Massage Show podcast. I was Zig. I was Jake. And We'll catch you next week with Ria Window.